Hey, welcome. It's great to be with you. Um, I don't know when you're watching this, but uh, happy Father's Day. Um, <clears throat> I want to celebrate you as fathers. Uh, some of you will be experiencing uh, some celebrations, barbecues, things like that. Uh, we also just want to recognize, you know, others, this is a, this is a hard day. Um, no kids. Kids are gone. Um, maybe you had a child who passed or a dad who passed who's no longer with us. Maybe you had a bad or, or absent dad, and this is a tough time. We want to recognize that and just let you know we're, we're praying for you and praying with you through this time. But I wanted to start today uh, just by uh, praying for you, uh, praying for our fathers, praying for the men uh, who are watching this. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for a day that we can celebrate uh, dads. Uh, Lord, I know that it's a, it's a struggle for some. So Lord, I pray that you would also come alongside and, and Lord, just comfort them uh, through uh, the difficulties that maybe this day brings. But Father, I, I pray for all the men that, that, Lord, that you would help us to, to love and lead well. Lord, that we would lead with humility and godliness, with commitment. Uh, Lord, just wanting to lead and shepherd our kids into maturity to become more and more like Jesus. So Lord, I, I pray that you would just um, empower and strengthen our dads in this way and all the men that are, that are here and watching this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I forgot to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Pastor Jonathan, one of the pastors on staff here, and it's, it's great to be with you as we continue this series on uh, 1 Corinthians. So you'll wanna grab your Bible or device, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter, we're gonna be uh, in chapter two, three, and four today, a little bit of each. And so you'll want to grab a device or your Bible and turn there. Or, and also just grab something to take notes with. Um, Going to be covering a lot of great stuff today. And one of the questions I might have is, you know, why are we walking through 1 Corinthians? If it's a church with so many problems, uh, why 1 Corinthians? I liked, uh, I was reading this week, one theology professor observed this. He said, if Paul were to write a letter to the evangelical Bible-believing churches of late 20th, cent 20th century America, I, I believe it would be much like 1 Corinthians. Their world was like our world. The same thirst for intellectualism, the same permissiveness toward moral standards, the same fascination for the spectacular. And their churches, and their church was like our churches, proud, affluent, materialistic, fiercely eager for intellectual and social acceptance by the world, doctrinally orthodox, but morally and practically conforming to the world. Wow. Um, the world is messy, and unfortunately, sometimes our churches reflect more the world than they do Christ. Uh, I believe in today's passage, Paul makes this pretty clear. We're not to be conformed by the world, but transformed by Christ so that our lives look different. Um, when our lives look different, we're sometimes misunderstood. Uh, Pastor Aiden talked about it last week. We, we can look like fools for Christ, and so... It's very relevant that we continue the conversation of living differently by looking at the church in Corinth and how the Apostle Paul 
was confronting some of the attitudes that were creating divisions and, and compromise within the church. Uh, the church in Corinth is a mess. Uh, pride, arrogance, divisions, unrestrained passions, critical, unappreciative. It was a reflection of the cultural soup that they were living in. So today I want to connect that idea with, connect the idea that a growing relationship with Jesus is reflected in the way we serve, in the way that we make disciples, the way that we see ourselves in God's eyes, our, our response to living different in a messed up world. You see, the church in Corinth had developed a distorted view of what it means to be spiritual, and it was damaging their perspective on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, Paul, who's writing this letter, calls them out as being arrogant and selfish. You see, the problem was pride and arrogance. So I want to continue the conversation that Adam and Aiden started because chapter and three and chapters three and four continue Paul's defense of his ministry and the need for the church to get a grip on its spiritual arrogance. So we're going to be looking at the first few verses of chapter three and then look at how chapter four illustrates some things for us. A uh, couple issues we've already addressed. The first issue was the problem that Adam described as elevating personalities in the parties, which divided the church. The second issue, which sort of bleeds into that first one, was the, the philosophical influence of the Greeks. They were attracted to this worldly wisdom. They are attracted to being the, the elite, erudite learners and leaders, the, the chic, the, the respectable, the highbrow. And I believe both of those issues stem from the third issue that we're looking at today. You see, their spiritual growth had been stunted by their pride and arrogance. Paul describes behavior of three different types of people. I'm gonna use some illustrations from a, a campus ministry called Crew that I think illustrate this well. The first of all, Paul describes what we call the natural person. In chapter two, if you just go back a chapter, verse 14, it says the, ver the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but consider them foolishness cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Now the, the circle uh, represents our lives, represents our lives. The, the chair represents kind of the, the throne of our lives or, or who's in control. And so in the diagram that you see here, you see that Christ is outside of the circle. It's, it's depicting someone who's outside of Christ, who's put themselves in control. Um, this is someone who hasn't said yes to Jesus, who lives kind of a self-directed life. In other words, self is on the throne directing decisions and actions for themselves without Christ. Living without meaningful direction, eternal purpose and perspective. Now this natural self-directed person, yeah, they might be a very charming person, handsome, beautiful, very charismatic, intelligent, even religious, and yet They've never given their lives to Jesus by saying yes to him. Their spiritual reality is a vacuum. They're, they're spiritually dead. Without the spirit of God in their lives, they, though they might be wealthy, well-educated, prestigious, they can't understand spiritual matters, real spiritual truth. I was thinking about this. It's a lot like watching a sci-fi movie with my mother-in-law. 
Now, <laughs> I love my mother-in-law, she's great. Uh, she just doesn't get fiction. She doesn't get science fiction or fantasy. And I remember one time I was watching Star Trek and she was in the room and the entire time she's like, who's that? What's that thing? What's that supposed to be? What are they doing? And finally she just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> she didn't get it. She didn't enjoy it. She didn't get it at all. Um, and you know, in another way, it's like telling someone who's tone deaf to, to listen to the harmonies and the key change of a song that you really enjoy and how the different instruments kick in. And they're like, I don't hear that. I don't get it. And see, Paul describes it like this in Ephesians chapter two. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins and what you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul says without Christ, we are spiritually dead. If you're dead, you lack the capacity to feel, to sense anything. When you're dead, you can't smell the flowers. You don't care. You can't care. So, so it is with a natural person. They lack the capability because without the Spirit of God in their life. This is just, this is foolish. So God has to open their hearts. The Holy Spirit has to enable them to discern it, to get it, to understand it. I just want to say, if you're here this morning as a natural person, I, I'm so glad you're here. I, I pray the Spirit would move in your life to understand these things more and more. Fortunately, there's a second category because Paul continues in Ephesians. And he says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. The person who responds to God's grace is the spiritual person. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. In other words, the spiritual person gets it. He understands. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. The person, because of the Spirit in his life, has said yes to Jesus and is submitting to the rule of Christ in his life. Christ sits on the throne and he puts himself, he yields himself to Christ's authority. Uh, as a result, our, our lives are given purpose. We, we understand our identity. We understand who we are. We understand where we're going. The Spirit of God helps us to understand and grow in our understanding of spiritual truth. God has awakened us to supernatural spiritual realities and truths. And because Christ is directing our lives, our perspectives, our values, our priorities, our appetites, all of that changes. It's part of the transformation that takes place in our lives. We, we saw this in Romans 12 when we were commanded in view of God's mercy to offer him our lives, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That word transformed is, is from the word in which we get the word metamorphosis, uh, a caterpillar to a butterfly, a tadpole to a bullfrog. And I think it's fascinating. I, I have a friend who, uh, who really helped me get a better understanding of this. He, 
received his degree in entomology from Ohio State University. He loves bugs. Um, but he made the observation that when a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly, it's more than an outward physical change. Its appetite and purpose changes as well. The caterpillar is, is all about consumption, gathering energy, consumption, whereas a butterfly's purpose becomes reproduction. I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to come back to that again. But listen, listen to what Paul said at the end of chapter 2. The person with the, the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. In other words, you get it, but the world doesn't get you. <laughs> it's what Aiden talked about last week. He made the point following Jesus is not always practical. It can look foolish to someone who doesn't understand spiritual things. And people will ask, what's, what's wrong with you? Uh, when I was in seminary, I worked in the dietary department at a hospital. And I stocked shelves, delivered food trays to patients. I mopped floors, cleaned ovens. I, I ran the dishwasher. I scrubbed pots and pans. I, I taste tested Phyllis's banana, banana nut bread. Uh, there were a few perks. Um, but I worked with a guy who was a drummer in a country rock band. Um, and he had a different work ethic than I did. In fact, as I would be pulling boxes and, and stocking shelves, he'd be, he'd, be sitting on a, he'd be sitting on a bucket just playing the drums and, and singing things like Bubba Shot the Jukebox or I've Got Friends in Low Places. Uh, and as I worked, he was always asking, why are you working so hard? Why do you care so much about doing a good job? I remember one time we were in the freezer and I dropped something on my finger and I just, I was like, ah, rats. He thought that was hilarious. He's like, man, am I in a Peanuts cartoon strip or what? And he, he made fun of me for that. You know, sometimes he just asked, what's wrong with you? Of course, the answer was Jesus, but to him, that was weird. I knew whatever I, I do, I want to work hard and I want to please the Lord, whether the boss is looking or not. He didn't get that. You see, the natural person doesn't understand the spiritual person. They have a different value, purpose, and perspective. You're either in one camp or the other, but Paul confronts these Corinthians believers for trying to have a foot in both. And so we come to chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, Brothers and sisters, I, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. In other words, I can't speak to you as spiritual people because you're still driven by natural worldly values. Uh, some call this the, the carnal person. Uh, carnal just means simply someone who's fleshly, who's driven by the passions and desires of the flesh, just like the world. What does it look like to live in this worldly way? One pastor describes it like this. It's looking to the world, to human leaders, to influential and pop popular people, to neighbors, associates, and fellow students for our standards, attitudes, and meaning. Worldliness is accepting the world's definition, the world's measuring sticks, the world's goals. Now, 
There's some debate about this term and, and whether it can truly exist, but I'm just gonna let the text speak for itself as, as I understand it. Now, first of all, Paul addresses them as brothers and sisters. He, he, this assumes that there's a spiritual relationship. Secondly, he calls them not just infants, but he says, you are infants in Christ. So apparently they've said yes to Jesus and, and Paul accepts this at face value. They're still in Christ, but they're immature. They're babies, they're carnal, fleshly, worldly. And so as you look at this picture, uh, Christ is still in their lives, but in their own stubbornness and sinfulness and arrogance, they're not seeing Jesus take the wheel, they, they take it for themselves. This is why the church in Corinth was such a mess. When we fail to live by the Spirit of God, our self-interests are at odds with, with who we're meant to be in Christ. See, down where I live, uh, they've replaced a lot of stoplights with traffic circles. You feel like you're taking your life in your hands driving around some of these because a lot of people don't like the yield. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm gonna get nailed by someone who fails to yield to the cars going around the circle because some people just fly into that circle without yielding because they're in a hurry. They don't wanna have to wait for the cars going around the circle. And see, this self-consuming behavior becomes a danger, not just to them, but to everyone. And see, these Corinthian believers weren't yielding control to Christ. They weren't willing to yield. And it was creating problems. Paul refers to them as, as babies in Christ. The reality is we're all babies at one time, but we're not supposed to stay that way. So when someone says yes to Jesus, they're spiritually infants, but they're growing and, and they'll continue to grow as they learn the way of Jesus, as they listen to the Holy Spirit's instruction through God's word and, and live it out in their lives, letting God's truth transform their lives. It's a process. The problem with the Corinthian believers is that they were stuck. They were stuck in immaturity. They never progressed in their faith. They weren't maturing. Their growth was, was stunted. They, they had walked through the front door of faith but never got past the coat room. And so Paul couldn't call them wise or spiritual or mature. Instead, he calls them, you guys are carnal, fleshly, infants in Christ. And you see, babies are beautiful and amazing little creatures, but they require a lot of care. They can be messy, they spit up, they spill things, among other things. Uh, when babies are babies, that's what we expect. But if a 20 or a 40 year old is still demanding attention, making messes, and is only concerned with his or, her, his or her own needs, that's a problem, right? You see, when I was a baby, when I was an infant, I sucked my big toe and everybody thought it was cute. Well, it wouldn't be so cute if I took off my shoes right now and, and tried to suck my big toe. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not even sure it's possible anymore. Um, in a sense, Paul is saying, I'm watching how you treat one another. I'm watching the choices that you make, the direction you're, you're going in your lives. And spiritually speaking, I have to address you as people who are still sucking their toes. Why? because they weren't letting Christ lead their lives. They weren't being transformed by the good news, the gospel. 
So how is it that someone who says yes to Jesus can get so stunted in their growth? That is, they, they probably would have won the, the Bible version of trivial pursuit every time. They could probably define propitiation, sanctification, superlapsarianism, uh, debate with clear logic, expound different philosophical thoughts. The problem was they were still worldly. They had a spiritual problem. Paul had, Paul had spent 18 months ministering in Corinth, but they didn't get it. And so he continues in verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. What did they lack that they weren't able to digest solid food? What was keeping them from, from growing and maturing in their faith? He continues, you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? In other words, part of the evidence of being worldly of the flesh, a spiritual baby, is jealousy and quarreling. They're characteristics of a natural person. Here's what I think. The thing that makes it hard for a person to digest food, <clears throat> to yield to Christ's authority, is pride and arrogance. I, I've, <clears throat> I've often heard the meat or, or solid food refers to, to deep doctrinal truths. We, we think of meat as, as being able to parse Greek verbs and debate theological controversies. And in one sense, it does refer to a greater understanding of God's truth. But in this context, I don't think Paul's talking about something that, that takes more intelligence to grasp. What it takes is less jealousy, less quarreling. He says what it takes is less pride, less arrogance, less self-assertion. The solid food isn't just for spiritual geniuses or, or theologians in ivory towers. The meat, the solid food, is for people who are humble. It's for people who've stopped pretending they have all the answers and have become teachable learners. The solid food is for people who've stopped self-assurance and, and self-exaltation. It's for people who, who want to boast in the Lord and what He can do. It's for people who appreciate the words of Jeremiah 9.23 that says, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. That's meat. That's meat that we can grow on and bring us to maturity. All of this comes as an encouragement to the sincere struggler. But it's also a warning. It's a warning to the person fighting to keep themselves on the throne, to keep themselves in control. You see, Paul isn't upset that they began as babies, but that they're still babies. Notice the next phrase of verse 2, you are still not ready. Even now, they're not ready for solid food. Then we have this serious warning at the end of verse 3 and verse 4. He says, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere human beings? It's interesting. He leaves it as a question. Are you not just being merely human? Could it be the reason you haven't 
made any progress beyond those early days is that you really are no different than an ordinary natural man. Now, I don't think he wants to believe in it, and he, he doesn't treat them that way. He gives them the benefit of the doubt, but he's giving them a warning. In other words, not to make progress into Christian maturity is dangerous. Why would you want to stay that way? As long as you're not allowing the Spirit of God to lead you and transform you, you'll never find contentment or peace. You can try to cover up sin, but inwardly, you'll always be miserable. Just ask David. In a time in his life when he tried to, to take the throne of his life, he failed miserably in sin and tried to hide it. Listen, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And we got a little glimpse of that kind of heat this past week. It's not a place I want to stay very long. When our lives reflect more the world than they do Christ, it's a miserable, miserable place to be. We're not living the way we were created to function. We're not living in a way that reflects our identity as being in Christ. Not only that, but it, it creates division, hypocrisy, unhappiness, discontentment in our relationship with others. Now, there's so much more that we could talk about here, about walking in the Spirit and the results of that. But I want to I wanna move to chapter 4 for just a few minutes. Because I think Paul illustrates what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus. Remember, he's, he's addressing a church filled with pride, looking for affirmation from the world. But Paul gives us a couple of descriptions of what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus. And it's not dye your hair gray and carry a big Bible. <laughs> he, he describes some steps in our path to maturity. The first is the path of maturity is paved by humility. Chapter 4, verse 1, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Paul says, so when you think of us, don't think of us as, as super apostles or superheroes of the faith. No, regard us as servants of Christ. Now that sounds pretty typical of Paul, but it's interesting. Paul doesn't use the typical word for servant here. He uses a word, uh, huperetes, which, which means under rower or under oarsman in a ship. You see, it speaks of being in a large ship, a galley ship, before there were boilers and, and turbines and engines. It's a large ship propelled by slaves in the belly of the ship who have long oars, and they, they're pulling these oars together, and they're taking orders from their supervisor. They're under rowers. That's the picture Paul wants to put in our minds. None of us are the boss. <laughs> We're not even the, the navigator, the sailor, or the cook. We're in the belly of the ship following orders, following the rhythm of the supervisor. We're galley slaves. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, this is Christ's church. He's the one giving direction, motivating us, providing us, providing for us, overseeing all that we do. As under rowers, though, we're, we're also entrusted as stewards of the message of the gospel. Uh, a steward was a, a house manager who would manage everything for his master, but would own nothing for himself. 
You think about these two pictures, what a contrast to the arrogance of the Corinthian believers who are trying to make a name for themselves. But can I be real? It's not just, it's not just them. Because pride and arrogance is sneaky. They, they creep into our lives and begin to control our decisions and actions and even the way we think about people. And some, pretty soon we find ourselves pushing Jesus to the side to fulfill our own wants. You see, when we talk about pride, it's not just the rambunctious athlete or the Hollywood star who believes they're the greatest. It can also be the person who's always late because it communicates that their time is more important than yours. Pride comes in the form of, of not really listening, but formulating what you're going to say, even as the person's talking, it communicates that, man, what you're gonna say is more important and more profound. Pride comes in the form of always dominating a conversation. You have to insert yourself into a conversation while ignoring the needs and, and failing to listen to others. Pride comes in the form of being a, a one-upper. Have you ever been around a one-upper? You know, someone tells a story and, and you've got a story that's just a little bit bigger, a little more intense, because you always have to be heard. Pride comes in the form of always having to be right and, and maybe not listening to other viewpoints. Pride comes in the form of always being critical, putting others down, not being teachable. Pride comes in the form of a lack of a prayer life because it says, I don't need anyone but me. You see, we need to take a look, a hard look at our own lives. Pride and arrogance take things from us. Paul goes on in the chapter, in the chapter and I encourage you to read it for yourself. He, he's actually pretty uh, sarcastic. It's a sanctified sarcasm. Um, uh, contrasting their attitudes with the reality of Christ in their lives. And then he, he gives us another humbling picture that encourages us to consider the path toward maturity is formed through sacrifice. Verse 9, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. Paul says we've been made a spectacle to the whole universe. And he's giving us this powerful word picture. You see, a, a, Roman, a Roman general, after they had won a battle, would, would have a victory parade, would lead a victory parade through Rome. And the people would be cheering the general as he's lifted on a throne and carried by his royal guard. And then behind him were the soldiers and behind them displayed all the spoils of war that were collected. And behind that, last in this victory parade, were prisoners of war, men condemned to die. As these prisoners moved along, bound in chains, often dressed in rags, the people jeered and mocked and yelled and harassed, spit, punched, threw garbage, whatever on them. And then they were usually taken to the arena to compete or fed to the lions. And, and, and this is what Paul says. It seems like God has allowed us to be those people. We aren't rich and influential. He says sarcastically, we're not as awesome as you guys. 
We're not as awesome as you guys who constantly critique us. I'm, I'm too busy getting beat up. <laughs> and he, he continues in verse 10, We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become scum of the earth, a garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Wow. Paul's saying, that's my life. I don't know about you, but if I'm in Corinth, I'm kind of hanging my head right now. You see, there's a stark contrast between the Corinthians and the apostles. The Corinthians were exalted and satisfied and pampered. The apostles were working hard. They were sacrificing. They were facing abuse. The Corinthians reflected the world. The apostles were living like Jesus. But then Paul stops right there in verse 14 and he switches gears. He's like, hey, look, guys, this is, why I'm so, this is why I'm so stern. This is why I'm coming across so strong, why it feels that, that, I, that I speak with so much conviction. And the reason is because he sees himself as their spiritual father. Verse 14, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you did not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. You see, the destination that defines maturity is spiritual parenthood. In other words, making disciples. Paul loved the Corinthians. He had been direct and at times harsh with them because he wanted to help them. Paul, Paul said he thought of himself as their spiritual parent. Paul spoke to the Corinthians as a father. He wasn't trying to beat them up, but to wake them up. Like a father, his love for them gave everything and asked for nothing. As a spiritual father, he wanted them to follow his example, to literally mimic the way he followed Christ. And Paul wasn't saying, imitate me because I'm awesome. <laughs> no, he was telling them to follow his example as he followed Christ rather than the example of the world. Paul was encouraging the people to imitate his openness about his own struggles rather than denying them to imitate my willingness to sacrifice to follow Christ rather than trying to please the world, imitate my willingness to do whatever's necessary to effectively communicate the gospel to others, imitate my, my parenting by leading others to spiritual maturity. You see, what's needed most in the church today is for the church to do what God has called us to do to adopt this role of the servant, to follow Jesus wherever that leads, to invest our lives in others like a spiritual father or mother. You see, we learn and grow best when we're teaching, leading, pouring our lives into someone else. I think the Corinthians stop growing because they become too self-absorbed, too self-conserved, 
concerned. They stopped investing in relationships, teaching, discipling others. They were stuck as caterpillars and tadpoles, consuming their way to self-importance, forgetting to morph. They weren't being transformed with a new purpose of reproduction, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And yet that's the picture of the mature follower of Jesus. Growing into a follower of Jesus who reproduces others into fully functioning followers of Jesus. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, where are you at your walk with Jesus? You see, babies can't produce, and, and, and that's okay if, if you're new to all this. I mean, that's, that's where you begin. Um, but those who have grown in their faith show maturity when they begin to invest themselves in others and lead others to maturity, to lead others to humbly know the love of Christ more and more. We're being transformed from consumers to spiritual parents. Look for people you can encourage. You can help grow as you both take that next step in your spiritual journey. Now, I know that can be scary. There, there may be times when you don't know exactly what to say, but that's okay. Let God lead because he's the one who makes the seed grow and he will use you as you explore his word together with others. A lot of people say, well, I'm scared they're going to ask me a question. You know, if, if someone asks you a question, answer it honestly. Sometimes uh, you're not going to know the answer. That's okay. I mean, I, I say it all the time. I don't know, but I'll, I'll find out. Let me come back next week and I'll let you know. And then find out and go back and you both benefit from that experience. You see, we've covered a lot of ground this morning. So today, where, whenever you're watching this, and so I want to give you some time to reflect on a couple things. I want you to think about what circle are you? And once you've determined what circle you are, maybe just ask the question, what's my next step? You see, if you're a natural person, what's keeping you from saying yes to Jesus? If you're a spiritual person, who are you going to start investing in? Start praying for that person. How are you going to do that? Who will you lead and love to become more and more like Jesus? Or maybe you're, maybe you're more like <clears throat> this person here, the carnal, the worldly, the fleshly person. If you're a follower of Jesus who's letting the world lead you, you're probably miserable. Or your life isn't what you thought it'd be. And you're in this third category of in Christ but living worldly. What do you need to confess to the Lord today? How will you surrender your life to Christ and start following the Spirit? And see, if you're stuck in infancy, what, what's keeping you there? What's holding you back? I want to encourage you as you're watching this, just pause and, and think about what circle am I? What's my next step? And just give that to God and pray. And if you feel comfortable, I encourage you, approach someone you trust. Let them know what your prayer was today so that they can come alongside and pray with you because we really do need each other. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that reveals these things to us. 
Lord, I thank you that Paul had such love and passion and compassion for this church that, Lord, he was willing to say some hard things. He's willing to want to encourage them and, and challenge them to take a next step. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be humble, humble under rowers, followers of you, that we would be in rhythm with you and not trying to beat our own drum. Father, pray that you would forgive us of, of pride in our life. And Lord, just how sneaky that is. Lord, just reveal that to us so that we can take care of it. And that, Lord, we can give it to you and surrender ourselves to you. Lord, that we might be under your authority and follow your lead in all things. Lord, help us to find people to lead and love well. Lord, that, Lord in, in, in humility, Lord, that we would, we would follow you and Lord, ask others to, to follow us as we follow Jesus, that we follow you together. Lord, help us to press on to know you and to live for you in a way that's, that's pleasing, in a way that's honoring to you today. Lord, we give all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.